I want to welcome you today. Good afternoon. Thank you so much for joining us. My name is Sharon Watson. I'm an international program specialist within the Office of International Patent Cooperation at United States Patent and Trademark Office. I'll be your moderator today. I'm co-moderating with Ms. Marilyn Nash. Um, and this is a session, Windows and Mirrors in Federal Spaces. Reflections of Career Success at the National Oceanic and Atmospheric Administration, or NOAA, and USPTO. I'll be leading the first part of our panel, and then around 2.30, Marilyn will be taking the second half, which will include Q&A. So you'll hear from Marilyn in just a moment, and before we hear introductions from our esteemed panel, here's a little bit about me. I love creating meaningful impact at the intersection of mission, vision, and purpose. I've been in strategic communications for over 20 years, having worked both in the United States and also the United Kingdom. And I build integrated marketing and communication strategies to reach underrepresented populations. Throughout my career, I've specialized in the use of storytelling as a catalyst for organizational change and impact and as a way to break down cultural barriers while celebrating the shared human experience. As of this month, I've been at the USPTO for 10 years, which is the longest place I've been um, in my career. Really excited about that. And in my previous role as principal strategist for human capital marketing and recruitment, um, I led the agency in pioneering targeted uh, storytelling strategies to recruit women in STEM, veterans, African-Americans, Hispanics, millennials, people with differing abilities, students, and more. In my current role, I help to develop strategic outreach plans that support the agency's mission and drive agency-wide initiatives focused on inclusive innovation and global diversity that advance women and girls within the global IP ecosystem by opening doors to increased access, mentorship, and community building. I'm also a proud bison of the real HU. Oh, thank you very much. Oh, well, <laughs> well, yes, oh, thank you. You know, well, we're going there early today. <laughs> we have an exciting panel in store for you today. I'm joined by two panelists from NOAA, um, from the Great Lakes Environmental Research Lab, and a fellow De Department of Commerce Agency, and three panelists from the USPTO. First, I'd like to um, uh, uh, offer a huge thanks to Dr. Van Keita Brown, Senior Advisor for Equity from NOAA for the invitation to join you all here today. So please extend our thanks to her. <laughs> Representing NOAA's Great Lakes Environmental Research Lab are Dr. Elisa Young, uh, Weather and Climate Portfolio Lead, and Ms. Rita Williams, Supervisory Administrative Officer. Next we have from the USPTO, starting from your right, my left, uh, Ms. Keisha Bryant, Director of Technology Center 3700 within the Patents Corps. We have Ms. Nathania Ferguson, Manager of the Office of Innovation Outreach, and also my co-moderator, Ms. Marilyn Nash, who is the Regional Outreach Officer at USPTO's Midwest Regional Office right here in Detroit. <laughs> As I mentioned, Marilyn is my co-moderator, and we also have acting director of that Midwest Regional Office here with us, Mr. James Wilson. So remember when I talked about the power of storytelling? Um, it creates images in the mind, and when we say windows and mirrors, what are we really talking about? Windows are stories about seeing others, 
It lets you see the world differently and get a peek into other worlds that you might not otherwise be able to venture into. And mirrors are stories about seeing ourselves. It allows you to examine yourself, and it can be a very empowering experience. We've all heard the adage, if you can see it, you can be it, right? But representation, especially within federal spaces, is critical to creating a sense of belonging and helping someone envision themselves in new spaces. So when we were offered an opportunity to come and talk about this very important topic, we thought, what can we offer the audience in terms of addressing a known problem? And so uh, I came across this headline from a Washington Post article back in 2020. It says, Harris is the pick, but women of color remain underrepresented in government. It highlighted disparities amongst women of color who seek higher office of positions of power, and it reveals obstacles many of us in this room already know all too, all too well, overcoming both racism and sexism to succeed in not only that, but in some cases, the quality of our work and the caliber of who we are is sometimes questioned with misperceptions being of not being qualified to hold positions of leadership. So that can contribute to um, women of color not wanting to join certain spaces or for it being difficult to recruit women of color into higher offices and gain support. Other studies go on to talk about the negative impact of unconscious bias and microaggressions. Um, and benign neglect at the workplace. If we experience those in amongst women of color, we tend to be the highest, uh, have the highest rates of negative workplace experiences. And that can have a direct effect on our bodies. It's additive, it's compounded over time, uh, leading to biological wear and tear from chronic stress. And that may not be everybody's experience, but it can happen and I can attest to that personally. So in today's discussion, we're talking about barriers to entry, how to overcome those. We'll provide tips on how to navigate hostile waters at work and how to find safe spaces and trusted communities. Throughout these three days, we've heard a lot about this conference in particular being a trusted community. Um, and that's what's happening in this room right now. Um, so you need those spaces in order to offset stressful situations. We'll learn about the challenges our panels, panelists themselves have had to face as they've ascended into leadership positions. And we'll also hear stories of triumph and success, which we hope will inspire you to keep um, climbing up the ladder. And ultimately, we hope to inspire you to join us in the federal service if you aren't already. And if you um, want to create more opportunities, you certainly have an avenue in the federal landscape to create innovate and tap into your passions, both as STEM and non-STEM professionals. We're gonna get transparent today. So this is gonna be a real sister circle moment and we can talk very openly and candidly um, to share with you both the trials and the rewards of federal employment. So use what you hear today as a window and use their personal stories um, as a mirror. So before we get into the real meat of today, let's take a pop quiz. How many agencies across the Fed focus on STEM and innovation? I'll give you some options. A, more than 50, B, between 10 and 50, or C, less than 10? Between 10 and 50, some of which are the USPTO and NOAA, of course. We also have um, the Small Business Administration, NASA, USDA, the list goes on. All right, let's get into this conversation. Ladies, are you ready? 
Alisa, what is NOAA's mission and what mission critical STEM fields do you typically hire for? Thank you for the question. Um, I'm very excited to be here and, and talk about our mission um, with all of the ladies in the audience. Um, so NOAA's mission is to understand and predict environmental changes. Um, it is also to um, protect and manage our coastal um, and ecosystems and also to um, be able to do weather forecasting to protect lives and property. Um, a lot of our crit mission critical fields include meteorology, oceanography, uh, marine biologists, computer scientists, information technologists. Um, we also have budget analysts. So everything is not just in the sphere of STEM in the traditional sense. Um, for a very large organization, you need you know, a range of support staff. Um, so we also hire in those areas as well. We hire engineers, so we have major satellite programs, we have ground systems. Um, and so we, we have a very large range of STEM fields that we hire for. Um, so hopefully some of these areas are of interest to you. Um, there's also the mindset of being able to apply um, some of your skill sets to support these different areas. So, you know, if you're not directly aligned, I think it's, it's worth seeking a conversation, and I'm happy to have those. Um, but I, I think, I hope that answers the question. Mm -hmm. And I'm, okay, great. Absolutely. And, <laughs> and Elisa, tell us just a little bit about your background for one minute. My background is in satellite remote sensing with a focus on atmospheric science. Um, my current role with the Great Lakes Environmental Research Lab is as the weather and climate portfolio lead. Um, so my responsibilities there are really to um, support gap areas um, to understand where we can spin up uh, innovative and new technology. It's very interesting. I've had conversations about AI and machine learning. So how do we integrate some of this new technology and some of the work that we are doing? Um, how do we address user needs from the perspective of understanding climate change um, and how that specifically applies to the Great Lakes region? Um, but I've also had a lot of experience on our satellite side, supporting program management for um, the Satellite um, Center for um, Applications and Research, which is STAR. And um, I was the program manager um, that liaised between our JPSS office and, and our center. Um, so managing scientists um, who are taking the algorithms that they're developing and using those to apply to the satellite data to um, study different geophysical properties. So, um, and I've been with NOAA for 18 years. So, I, and I started off as a student. So I'm really proud of that journey and happy to answer any questions for students as well. Wonderful, thank you, Elisa. Now we go to Keisha. What is USPTO's mission and what mission critical STEM fields do you typically hire for? So again, welcome to everybody and to the gentlemen in the back <laughs> as well. Um, so obviously the PTO mission is obviously driving innovation um, in the patent field as well as entrepreneurship and making sure that we're putting out good quality patents and trademarks across the globe as, not, as, in, as well as within the United States. Um, a lot of the things that we kind of are focusing on, I think it was the same thing Alicia said, is that we do have positions across all disciplines um, for other different business units within the area, but the majority focus of the patent examiner side of it is science and engineers. 
really STEM fields. And so it, we focus on those science and engineering fields because one, we want you all to know the technical background of what people are actually trying to do. We need you to understand what they're trying to do for you all to kind of help make that determination of whether or not what people are trying to get their patents or even when we're looking at attorneys for the trademark side, if what they're doing um, is patentable or not. And so we really try to focus on those STEM um, backgrounds to do that. But I never want to put aside all the other disciplines, finance, marketing, communication. Um, we do have those to kind of support all of the other patent and trademark functions within the agency. And so we really, really like these type of opportunities looking at women of color, um, just because those are also areas that we're lacking when we're talking about entrepreneurship or innovation and people, you know, making patents and trademarks. And so those are definitely areas that we're trying to evolve and grow as an agency and just as a culture as a whole. There are so many great ideas that we just don't know that we can do um, or that we're able to do. Um, and you don't necessarily have to have science backgrounds to do those things. A lot of the best inventions are because something just didn't work out. And you're like, how can I fix this to make this easier? for myself. And so always open to talking to students um, who are still in school and obviously looking for positions without. And so I know Sharon is going to kind of ask kind of how I got to where I am. Um, and so I am one of the senior executives in the agency and I graduated with physics. Um, and messing with Sharon, I went to the real HU, which is Hampton. That was to no. tag along off no. of what she was saying to me. Um, to that, and so obviously being a um, science background and just working my way up, and so obviously doing the examination job and then moving to different things throughout the agency, and now I actually am a director over one of the technology centers that focuses on mechanical engineering. And so we really kind of focus on medical devices, um, things like exercise equipment or um, turbines, things like that. But obviously the agency has different things crossed on all disciplines to be able to do that. And so obviously it just shows how you can expand from within the agency to, to do different things um, within there. And I think it is so important, I think Sharon said, it's so important to be able to see people that look like you mm -hmm. for opportunities yeah. to do different things. I am one of very few in the agency. And so I think it is so, so important to be able to see other people that look like myself and other people within this room to show that there are definitely qualified women, women of color in science and STEM that bring awesome, awesome growth and ideas and just your personal journeys to this agency. So definitely I'm also director of over hiring so we definitely have positions out now, so we can definitely talk about that later and <laughs> offline um, for those positions as well. Yes, absolutely talk with Keisha afterwards. <laughs> um, and so you can find out more about both of our agencies on our websites. Make sure that you go to noaa.gov. Make sure you go to uspto.gov slash jobs. Um, we have a section called Who We Are, where you can read both, uh, you can read stories about uh, real, agent, uh, real employees at the agency, stories of both professional and personal growth. So make sure that you do that afterwards. Um, Marilyn, 
what's the mission of the regional offices? And who do you engage with? And where do you engage them and why? Thank you for that. So the mission of the regional offices, um, I am the regional outreach officer for the Midwest Regional Office here in Detroit. Um, and we are one of five outreach offices. And so our mission is to connect with the stakeholders um, in our geographic region. The Midwest region covers nine states, which include Michigan, Illinois, uh, Indiana, Ohio, Iowa, Wisconsin, Minnesota, Missouri and Kentucky. I think right. I counted all nine. <laughs> all nine. Um, but in addition to the Midwest Regional Office, there's also the Texas Regional Office, which is in Dallas, uh, Dallas, Texas, the um, Silicon Valley Regional Office, which is in San Jose, Rocky Mountain Regional Office, which is in Denver, Colorado, and then we have an Eastern Regional Outreach Office, which is co-located at our headquarters in Alexandria. So as a regional extension of uh, USPT headquarters, we are going out into these geographic regions to reach the underserved, the underrepresented, the under-resourced, independent inventors, entrepreneurs, and really innovators of all ages, whether they're across different business stages, um, and in these different places, right? And we wanna make sure that you're receiving the IP education, you're fully understanding what uh, patents and trademarks are. Uh, we do touch on copyrights, and some people think that PTO covers copyrights, but in fact, that's covered by the Library of Congress, but we maintain very close uh, working relationship with the Library of Congress to be able to include that in our IP programming as well. Um, so in addition to our in-person programming and training, of course, we offer many events online, um, oftentimes in collaboration with other business units, and I think we'll hear a bit more about that from Ms. Nathaniel Ferguson to my left on how we engage with our business units internally, but also um, many organizations externally, right, which include um, corporations, universities, uh, K through 12 classrooms, small business incubators, and other federal agencies such as NOAA. Wonderful, thank you. So tell us a little bit about your background. Sure, so my background, I'm 17 years plus counting federal service. Um, I started as a GS4, I can't even believe it, right? As a college intern, as a senior um, in college and was recruited to um, work for a civilian position with the U.S. Army here at the Tank Automotive Plant in Detroit. Um, I served as an industrial specialist, so in a manufacturing area, going out evaluating all those tanks and, and small arms and, and various weapon systems for the Army. And that took me to uh, the Defense Contract Management Agency in uh, Virginia, Crystal City, Virginia. I was actually a liaison from DCMA to the Pentagon. Uh, very interesting uh, post there for a few years before returning back to the Detroit area with the Small Business Administration, their Michigan District Office. Um, and then a brief stint with the DLA, right, because I did enjoy working for the Department of Defense, but I've now found my home. It may be my forever home here with the Patent and Trademark Office. So Whoa. I- Yes, um, that's what we like to hear. <laughs> <laughs> and as Sharon pointed out, Mr. James Wilson in the back, the acting regional director, he's actually my supervisor. So we have such a great time at the Midwest Regional Office, but PTO is a wonderful agency and that I get to connect and go out into the community and not only talk about IP, but I hear so many wonderful stories of uh, innovation and invention and, you know, these wonderful ideas and such. And just to be able to uh, be a conduit for those resources and, and encourage uh, IP protection has been really satisfying. 
I love to hear you talk about um, that home, hometown pride. I can hear it in your voice. Yes. And so one of the things that we love about the regional offices is that those who are able to live and work um, can um, really tap into those regional nuances. Like you get hyper-local with these regional offices. So part of the 2012 America's Innovation uh, Invents Act um, that helped to open the pathway to these regional offices under Obama's administration um, really uh, saw the need to increase regional representation um, from the IP system side in order to match what we were seeing in terms of growth regionally across the nation with inventors and entrepreneurs. So we answered the call there, I think, and as we continue to build um, the teams in the regional offices and they're going out and doing all this amazing work, it's, it's just really great to see. And everything that we can do uh, at headquarters to support them, we do. Um, so let's talk about um, barriers to entry um, and the programs that we have to offset some of those barriers. So Rita, what are some of the challenges um, or barriers to entry that you've seen across the Fed so far? Welcome everyone. Um, first, I want to say I'm, I'm glad to see everyone here. It's been great. Um, for barriers I have seen is that the Universe USA Jobs, the website is overwhelming for a lot of people. It's hard to navigate. <laughs> it's overwhelming. They don't know what to go, where to do. So um, one of the things I was glad that we had people come up to our desk at the career fair is to be able to show them the bus up and how to assist them in navigating that. And so um, simple things, um, your interests, always go to the research areas, uh, pull up engineering or uh, for me administrative and they will give you a plethora of jobs to apply for and you can also depend on what agency it gives you little navigational tools to be able to do that but the key thing I think people struggle with is their resume and how the hiring manager get that information. Um, we always encourage people to use the resume builder because it creates your resume in, the, in a way that our HR people are used to seeing and is acceptable. Um, one example, we had a, someone who applied for a position in our lab and they were not accepted to our list because they missed 40 hours on their resume. I missed opportunity because of that. Um, the reason why is because they want to know if you have worked full time at a job. The resume builder tells us that. And so those things are small things like that can kick you off of a list. Another thing people miss is specialized experience. Um, that's another area where it goes into detail what the agency or the hiring manager looking for. Please put those kind of details in your resume. This is not, a resume should not be a one-stop shop for all jobs that you apply for. You should tailor your resume for that particular job. And then something else people also miss is that documents that they are required to see as part of your resume application. Please make sure you address all of those things as well. These keep people off the list. Hiring managers are only allowed to see the gold standard resumes. We're not ever to see any others, unfortunately. So that's why we encourage anyone that students that come to us or even mid-career uh, adults come to us, 
please read through the resume, answer all of the questions, and use the resume builder as a point of reference. We like your picture resumes, those cute ones, but that's not gonna help us to get you into the, into the workplace, just as a point of reference. And to answer the question, who am I? <laughs> so I am administrative officer for Gloria here at Ann Arbor. I've been with the federal government for about 15 years. I am a 2021 Special Recognition Award E for the Women of Color. Thank you very much. <laughs> and it was because of I managed over $5 million mm -hmm. of EPA funds. Uh, when I say, and so um, we do a, have a great partnership. We do a lot of great work. Great Lakes restoration initiatives throughout the state of Michigan, and I pretty much manage all of that money. So that is why I was recognized for that. But then I've been at my current role for two years. Um, I started the federal government mid-career, I could say, um, as a budget analyst, and I worked my way through, and um, this is where I am right now. And I'm not stopping. Keisha, you wanted to mention yeah, something? Yeah, just one more thing. When Rita was talking mm -hmm. about the USA Jobs, one thing that we see on our end is do not sh sell yourself short. Yes. Um, that's kind of, you know, you're putting in your resume, but also when you're answering the questions, a lot of times they'll, you know, kind of ask you, what is your experience in something? And you have A, B, C, and D. And sometimes yeah. it's, I have a little experience. I have some experience. Um, and so a lot of times people are like, well, I think I did it one time and they kind of sell themselves short and right. maybe pick the lowest thing where you actually have more experience than you think that you have mm -hmm. and they don't do that. Mm -hmm. So don't sell yourself short. If you have some experience in these things, say I have experience in these things because like Rita said, it's all about the gold standard to mm -hmm. be able to do that. And so what, when we're seeing it, when you come and talk to people after and you're like, you have all of the qualifications yes. and then you're looking and, and you gave yourself the lowest yeah. of the experience that you had. You excel at everything. You are awesome. Yeah. <laughs> Make you just have to remember that. And remember so that, that is yeah. something that I think kind of gets people off of some of those lists is just kind of, yeah. mm -hmm playing yourself down. And so it's always remember to play yourself up. Yeah. Um, and then obviously it's your expectations if you get interviews to definitely sell yourself at mm -hmm. that point, but you don't want to cut yourself off early before you get that opportunity. That's right, make that list, focus on that. Um, and uh, uh, an additional tip um, for resumes, um, when you get to the description part of the announcement, it usually comes in bullet, fo bullet point format Take the language from each of those bullet points and use that verbatim in your resume. Right. That's what HR specialists are looking for. They see thousands of resumes all the time. So they can't really pour into each resume to try to un understand the person behind the paper. So make it easy for them. If it, they're asking you for a specific skill set or specific experience, use those bullet points as headliners and then put your supporting narrative underneath each of those um, to help build out your federal resume. Looks very different from a private sector resume. Um, and if you have any questions as you go through your announcement, um, especially before the open period closes, there should be a name, a number, and email address at the bottom of every announcement on USA Jobs. That's the HR specialist mm -hmm. assigned to that position. 
call him or her. <laughs> make sure that you reach out. And um, I know I see your, your hand will take questions at the end. Mm -hmm. um, make sure that you reach out to him or her with your questions for sure. Hold, hold that because we want to get to all the questions. Um, Nathania, um, what are some of the challenges and barriers to entry within the IP system? Okay. I'm so excited to be here. And I know I have to be mindful. We don't have a lot of time because I can talk. I don't know if you've been by our booth, but I'm just so passionate about the work that we do at the USPTO. Should I give some background first? Please. So I've been at the USPTO for 34 years. Woo. I started when I was five. That's a whole separate story to talk about later. So definitely. We believe in youth employment. Yeah, definitely. This, this is the best place to work, OK? And so I can attest to that. Um, so many um, opportunities to grow no matter what your degree is in. I have a BS in business management from Johns Hopkins. Um, and I've been able to learn so much about intellectual property, understanding that it's so important to make sure people understand the value of protecting your innovations, right? So what we do in the Office of Innovation Outreach, I'm so um, fortunate to have a dedicated team, a diverse team of folks that go out into the underrepresented, underserved, and too often under-recognized communities of innovators to spread the good word about the work of America's innovation agency, your USPTO. Because oftentimes, how many of you have found a solution to a problem? Can you raise your hand? Have you had a problem and you came up with a solution? Should be everybody's hand up, right? Because <laughs> we're all inventors, we're all innovators, right? And so too often times, we come up, especially in our underrepresented communities, and to your point, I'm gonna get to your question, Sharon, <laughs> what the barrier is primarily lack of awareness, okay? So we go to conferences like this, we go to trade shows, we meet people at booths, they're promoting their brand and, and, and they're promoting their product, everything from cosmetics to high-tech, disruptive technology, they're disclosing their invention, because guess what? You need access to capital, right? You need access to capital to, to grow your business, but you're not understanding that now it's a public disclosure, right, mm -hmm. Keisha? So, you know, you're disclosing your invention. We are first inventor to file. We're no longer first to invent. And I know um, Sharon briefly mm -hmm. sp spoke about AIA. So it's so important for you to connect with your USPTO sooner than later because guess what? We have so many resources that are going to help you. We don't have access to capital. We're not going to give you money, but we have reduced fees because we know it's not easy. We know that because you don't have access to capital, you may not have a lot of the fund that you need to file your patent or trademark, right? But for patents, we have reduced fees for micro entities, small business owners. Most people would fall in that category from our underrepresented um, communities. And we also um, have so much free training. Marilyn spoke about all the important work of the regional offices. So at the Office of Innovation Outreach, we have national programs throughout the year specifically intentionally designed for you, our underserved communities of innovators. So what do we mean by that? We bring successful entrepreneurs to the stage to storytell. The importance of storytelling, because again, I can talk. I can tell all these stories. I have so many of them, um, but who better to tell their story than you, 
right? And so you're going to come to the stage and talk about it's not easy because we're not going to pretend it's easy to have IP protection, but you can do it. You just have to have persistence. You got what it takes to have intellectual property protection because you all have intellectual property. You just need to make sure that it's protected, right? So we bring uh, the storytelling to the stage and we also partner with other federal agencies such as NOAA, such as um, other agencies in DOC, NIST, because what do you need when you have an invention? You need to manufacture it, right? And so NIST MEP is a resource that's available. When we talk about money, you think about SBA, right? So we bring SBA to the table to talk about how they can help you with loans, what you need to do, even to the extent of technical assistance that they provide through SCORE and their Women's Business Center and their SBDCs. So we know that you need access and awareness to all these variable, valuable resources. We also know that the process of getting a patent, no, no offense, Keisha, it's not easy. It's complicated. I've been there for 34 years. I don't want to understand. It's too complicated for me. We always encourage you to have an attorney. Then you're like, Nathaniel, you just said we don't have capital. Now you're talking to me about getting an attorney. But we have free legal services. So at the USPTO, we have our patent pro bono program that will provide you access to a patent attorney that's going to help you file your application. We also have something called the Law School Clinic Certification Program, as an example, that will help you get your patent or trademark application done. And I'm looking in the back, because again, I can talk, and I don't know, I know. I, SBA? I, so SBA, the Small Business Administration, so that's the SBA, and that's a government agency. So we also want to make sure that you're connected with the trusted organizations in your community. So we work with Operation Hope, as an example, they are throughout the nation and they're going to help you understand the importance of financial literacy. They're going to make sure that when you get that capital, you know how to spend it. Okay, I've got to wrap it up. So um, um, I will be here probably until they kick me out downstairs, but please stop by the booth so you can get access to um, flyers to tell you about the resources that we have and our free programming. I'm going to have to give a plug for the Women's Entrepreneurship Program because I know we have some gentlemen in the audience, but this is a very important resource for you. It's an online hub of information, and we have free monthly programming. And so please come and check me out downstairs until I get kicked out. Thank you. Thank you, Nathania. <laughs> I'm going to take my leave. I have a flight. I'm going to turn it over to Ms. Marilyn Nash, but I wanted to thank you all for coming today and um, to encourage you to ask a lot of great questions. You've got a brain trust here of subject matter experts and then also women who are just passionate about what they do, about reaching back, pulling up, reaching forward, um, sharing, and collaborating. So make sure that you ask as many questions as possible. Thank you so much. Take care. Thank you, Thank you. Thank you so much, Sharon, and we wish you safe travels as you return home today. And we're just going to continue the conversation, right? So we're at a point where we're talking about barriers to entry and uh, some of the solution-driven problems. And so one of the questions I'd like to turn first to Rita and then to Keisha is, what are NOAA and USPTO doing uh, to increase women of color in their workforce? Just like um, USPTO, we have internships as, as well as Pathways program, but then we also have a relationship with some of the SBCU um, 
universities, and they're called CSC? Yes, Cooperative okay. Science Centers. Yes. And so we partner with them to be able to have students come into our lab and work on a research project. And, and with the hopes of that you get encouraged and that you will want to also apply for a federal position. And as um, Alicia uh, attests to, there are a lot of different fields that you can go into. And so we encourage those individuals. But I must say, uh, there are not a lot to apply to our jobs, which is unfortunate. Um, we work also with the local university, um, University of Michigan. Um, we have summer fellowship. Again, um, there are not a lot of female women of color applying for those internships and partnerships. They're out there and I just, and you can always go to USA Jobs and looking for interns or pathways program. And those are the um, entry where you apply for those programs to be able to uh, gain access to them and, and participate. And do you have other things going on in your lab as well. Yeah, mm -hmm. so for, for us, one thing that we really have been trying to focus on is definitely more diversity, mm -hmm. higher. Um, like I had said before, working within the hiring realm of it, really doing a lot of focus on HBCUs and minority-based universities is really trying to get out there and try to make connections with those um, places and students as well. Um, and also, even once we kind of get in there, there's a lot of outreach that we were doing. Obviously, Nathania has been talking about it, but just also outreach of making sure that we are putting focuses on affinity groups once um, we go to different co companies, schools, just trying to get connections with their affinity groups. Mm -hmm. And then once you are actually within the agency, really trying to make that connection with you all after. We have um, things like with affinity groups, there's government agencies, federal you know, um, few, which is, let me make sure, the federally employed like women. women. I was yeah. trying to make mm -hmm. sure we could do it. Yep. And big, which is blacks in government. Mm -hmm. Um, we also have those type of things, but we really are trying to make sure that we create a culture for you all once you get here. It's also, it's not, so it's always important to just make sure that we meet you all where you are, right. but we also want to make sure once you're within any of our organizations that you feel comfortable mm -hmm. in seeing once you're there. And so we really are really trying to make that focus, um, across the agency. We obviously have, you know, pathways in order for for you to get there once you're there mm -hmm. as well but definitely trying to make sure that we are getting that representation across the board um, in, in a lot of these science and the science and engineering backgrounds as well as Noah had said mm -hmm. um, in addition to that awesome thank you mm -hmm. and Alisa can you tell us a little bit about the resources that you have for women of color employees at NOAA of course, thank you for the question. Um, so we also, in addition to the employee resource groups or infinity groups uh, at NOAA, uh, we also have mentoring programs. Um, and, and I would suggest, you know, just from, you know, the perspective of, you know, you being a student or even a professional, um, having a mentor um, can be super beneficial to your career. And if you have a mentor and they're not effective, get a new mentor um, because at the end of the day, mentorship should be something that is helping you to figure out how you want the trajectory of your career to go, to understand opportunities, to understand how to address challenges. Um, and so I think mentoring is a huge um, uh, component to help you uh, navigate that space. Um, so we are already talked about um, 
few. We also have the Diversity and Professional Advancement Working Group at NOAA. Um, and this is not just focused on women of color. Uh, it, it's really designed to help um, anyone um, who is trying to navigate, you know, going from one uh, pay band um, to to the next one. And so understanding the application process, because if you want to compete for a new position, you still have to go through USA Jobs. You still have to compete, do that application, um, be able to understand how to, you know, craft it in the way that it's going to pick up those keywords as mentioned, um, so that you can get um, the interview, which is super important. Um, but in addition to that, I want to just talk a little bit about barriers because, you know, uh, several years ago, I want to say 10, at least 10 years ago, Noah realized that, you know, when we're looking at our women in STEM, our, our numbers are significantly low and compared to the, to, to the civilian labor force. So every government agency is looking at how their workforce demographics compare to the civilian labor force. Um, and so when you see that your agency has very low numbers, it becomes, you know, this, this trigger to, to look at barriers. Um, and so I think in NOAA, we've done that well, looking at barriers to employment. So some of our initiatives include in, in, efforts for diverse hiring panels, um, which means that when you go into an interview, uh, hopefully you're seeing a woman, hopefully you're seeing a person of color. Um, and honestly, that might seem like something you would expect, but it has not always been the case. No. You could get an interview with all white males and, and not to put white males under the bus, but you know, when you are, are thinking about opportunities, just being able to have different perspectives mm -hmm. who are considering your application, considering your responses is really important. Um, so I think for women of color in STEM, mm -hmm. some of these things have transpired in our organization. I'm very proud of those things. Um, but I, I hope that answers your question. <laughs> and um, yeah, I think that there's also other things that we're working on. Um, we talked about the Cooperative Science Center, so there are opportunities. Um, FAMU is one of our Cooperative Science Centers. We also have Howard University. We have Maryland Eastern Shore. And we have City College of New York. And so in these institutions, we do have a lot of students of color. But the whole point is, how do you transition those students, you know, after they're completing your, their degrees into actual federal employment? Right. Um, so we're working on that. Um, but we are definitely making major investments in those institutions and the, the other sister um, universities and colleges around those institutions um, to support young uh, people, people of color, um, into our mission-critical fields. Thanks. Thank you. And thank you for touching again and reemphasizing the importance of representation, right, keeping in our theme in windows and mirrors. And I'd just like to open it up to the panel and ask, you know, what does representation in the uh, federal space mean to you? You know, why does that matter? And if you can maybe share the um, importance of seeing people like yourselves in, in leadership positions. Where do I start? Um, I think it's very important because we talked about see it, believe it, and I think it's very important that we have diversity in leadership and we encourage people to take opportunities and don't just open a door for someone to come in, make sure they're prepared for the opportunity to set at the table with you. Mm -hmm. um, because too often we talk about um, 
you know, making sure mentorship is great, you know, but to, to, to speak about that when we talk about diversity, sometimes you want to learn from someone that may not necessarily look just like you, yeah. right, to get a different perspective. And being a mentor myself, that has been helpful. Um, being a mentee has been helpful because, yes, we want to have diversity and we want to make sure that we are creating pathways for people. Um, but from a standpoint of diversity for USPTO and what we do, when we go out and we're doing outreach and we're, 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 we're at these HBCUs um, providing information like about black innovation and entrepreneurship and hoping to get to some of the other MSIs, again, having people there that you can relate to, to talk about not just your pathway to use your STEM degree or non-STEM degree for professional growth, but how are you going to potentially use your creative works to give back to your community, right? To make opportunities for your family, for people in your community. So I think it's, it's broader than just within your workplace. It's making sure that when you're going out conducting outreach, you're connecting with people and they're able to relate to you. Yeah, the one thing that I would kind of add to that is where we're talking about representation. It's, it's important to me, and I think it should be important to everybody, is that you have the ability to see yourself in your agencies because you need to have safe spaces. You have to have that ability because not every day is a good day. We're going to be honest with people. Not every day is a good day. And sometimes you need to be able to shut the door and just say, Nathania, this is kind of what's going on. And so to have the ability that people, someone there that can understand what that looks like, understand kind of way me going on. And you can kind of be like, okay, I'm back now. And now I can open the door and go back and do what I need to do. And so everyone has had an opportunity or an experience where you realize you might be the only one, or you realize I just don't have a sounding block or something. And I think that that is really, really important to be able to do that. And so that's why I think amongst many, many reasons and many things that we've already talked about of why representation matters. Um, and then I think also when you are trying to go and do things higher up in an agency, I think I had said it already before, to be able to see yourself, to see it as an opportunity for you to do that. Um, and sometimes, which I wholeheartedly believe, sometimes people see more in you than you see in yourself. Yes. Yeah. And you need those people there to give you that push. And sometimes we have to get out of our comfort zone because people who are coaching you or mentoring you see that you're able and capable of doing it. And I think I talked about before, sometimes we, we don't sell ourselves enough. And so sometimes there are people there that sell it for, for you. Mm -hmm. And you take that push. It's, it's hard to do sometimes. You know, like, I don't wanna, I don't wanna do that. I don't, that, that's scary. That's, that's uncomfortable. And that's a good place to be. Sometimes it's uncomfortable. Um, you always wanna watch who your person is that you think is sponsoring you. Not everybody has good intentions. Let's be honest and real. We said we were having real conversations. Yeah. Mm -hmm. yes, um, you know, doing that. So you also have to trust the person. But if someone is really actively trying to support you and wanting you to go and, and push that, trust them. Because my thing is only the worst they can say is no, but they might say yes. And that's, it's okay. And then you can show all the things that we all know that you're qualified and able to do. 
So that's why I said I think that that's important for that representation to also give you that, to make you feel comfortable, to support you mm -hmm. in what you're trying to do. They could be above you of what you're trying to get to. They could be at the same level or sometimes under you. But people still have that ability to kind of help you and support you to get to where you want to be. And the more that you see of yourself, mm -hmm. keep bringing people in because we're all qualified. And once people start seeing, dang, they can do that. Then it opens up for more of them to say, oh, well, they can. Let me bring some more. Let me see. Oh, underrepresented areas can do it. Oh, I had a bad thought of what I thought they could and couldn't do. Let me open that, open that door to them mm -hmm. as well. And sometimes, I'm sorry, I just have to add one thing. Sometimes <laughs> the no's is going to lead you to your ultimate yes. Yeah, so don't forget about yeah. that. Mm -hmm. I'd, I'd also like to say on the point of equity and opportunity um, that your agency, um, or at least you know your interpretation of your agency, could be that you know they think you know only these specific types of people are qualified to lead, and and from a, a perspective of what you would e expect from your leadership, that can be you know, very, have an adverse effect, right? So if you have, if you want to have a diverse organization, but you don't have any diversity at the top, it could be sending the wrong messaging because it's not promoting equity, it's not promoting opportunity, and it's not saying we, we value all the people we serve. And so, you know, from that perspective, I think representation is super important. Um, and I think that, you know, in many cases, some of our agencies are behind the curve on it. Um, so I, I think, mm -hmm. you know, as, as um, was mentioned by Ms. Keisha, that you have to, first of all, know your own value, you know, have, you know, the, the mindset that you can lead, that you can operate in that space, um, to have, have people around you that can encourage you, right? Because sometimes you may say, I'm not fully qualified. Well, what's funny is that a lot of men apply for jobs and they are not fully qualified. They don't check every single box, but they don't let that hold them back. <laughs> But we let, we let little things hold us back. Um, and I know that as women, we have a lot to balance in terms of families and careers. Um, and so thinking about going to that next step can be very challenging for us, but we need to be there too. Um, so I just wanted to add that. And sure. just to close, because I know we get questions, is that I just want to um, state again that we, are, we can't be our own barriers because um, transparency, right? Mm -hmm. I didn't want the supervisory job when I got it. I had I had people in the office had told me that I need to apply. Just so that you know, I applied on the last day. And it was one of those things that you had to put a lot of pack, put a huge package together for a, you know, a GS-14 level job. I didn't want it because I hated, I didn't like what my supervisor did at the time. But I actually thought about it and applied half-heartedly. And I interviewed half-heartedly, but being a woman of faith that I am, it was meant to be. Three people declined the job so that I can get the job. Wow. And I have changed this job to, the, to, it, to a place where I am actually doing this kind of work. This is like first panel discussion. Thank you very much for being nice. <laughs> but no, it just says so so because 
one, I thought I couldn't do the job. Two, I didn't want the job to do the job. But like again, we, I was my own barrier. Mm-hmm. But here again, I stepped out of my comfort zone and, and foot forward, and here I am on the panel of these wonderful ladies today. So I really, I'm just an honor here to be here today. Mm-hmm. Thank you. Thank you so much for that. Mm-hmm. And I think that is an important point, right? We talk about, you know, in the federal spaces, and I know we're sharing our personal experiences Mm -hmm. and probably some of those that have been shared by our colleagues, right? Some of the barriers, um, the importance of representation. Certainly, yes, creating a a Mm self-barrier. And be mindful that when you're in a federal space or even in a corporate space, if you're not seeing the representation in your immediate leadership or the leadership of your agency or office, seek out those mentorships outside, right? Mm -hmm. We spoke about some of the affinity groups, the um, federally employed women is a great place to network. Um, If you are members at your student organizations, reaching back to, you know, university staff and things and identifying, um, again, mentors, coaches, um, someone that can encourage you outside of the space that you're in. Sometimes you just have to get a a fresh perspective. So um, I want you to keep that in mind as well. And it's also time for a pop quiz. (laughs) (laughs) So I'll take a deep breath. And I am going to give you a little bit of background and I'm going to ask you about a technology. So Dr. Marion Roger Croak is a vice president in the engineering group at Google and a women of color inventor who holds over 200 patents. The first person to name the communications technology that she pioneered will win our final prize. That's right. Yes. <laughs> VOIP. Dr. Marion Roger Crokes is a pioneer in voiceover internet protocol technologies, uh, the inventor of the text to donate system, and a 2022 inductee into the National Inventors Hall of Fame. And uh, fun fact, the USPTO recently renamed our Visiting Scholars Program, uh, the Dr. Marion Roger Crokes uh, Visiting Scholars Program, which enlists the services of academic researchers as distinguished scholars or research fellows to study intellectual property. So let's take a moment, right? We touched a little bit on uh, resources earlier. I know we've covered uh, quite a few things here, but um, if I can, Nathania, what resources does USPTO provide uh, to women of color in STEM um, as business owners? Okay, that's a great question, and I should have paid more attention to my notes because I didn't have to wrap it up as quickly because I have an opportunity to talk about our Women's Entrepreneurship Program. So, um, for example, that is a great resource for all women, but more specifically, we do bring some very exciting women in STEM that are sharing their stories about how they developed innovation, inventions, started their own brands, to bring the innovation to the marketplace. So I would say that is definitely a great resource that we have. Um, All of our resources are available to everyone. I briefly talked about the resources for free legal services. If you go to our website, uh, www.uspto.gov forward slash inventors, even though it says inventors, that's gonna take you to our inventor and entrepreneurship page which is gonna give you resources that are available for you throughout your innovation journey. Um, We just talked about Dr. Marion Croak. 
we're talking about mirrors. I think it's very important for us to continue to be inspired. So a great resource that we have at USPTO is our Journeys of Innovation. We have highlighted such inventors such as Dr. Marion Crote. You can actually hear her. She's got such a, a great voice. I mean, she's VoIP. Um, and she even will tell you about how she heard no. Like, can you imagine someone saying no to VoIP? But she had the right people to support her, to Keisha and Alicia's point. And so we, here we are today. Uh, another great resource that we have when we think about programming is we, and I briefly mentioned this earlier, is our Black Innovation and Entrepreneurship Program. And we've highlighted several successful um, women of color during that program. We have a USPTO YouTube page. And it is amazing. It's free. You can watch these videos at a time that are convenient for you. You can learn about young um, innovators that have participated in our national programs, such as Daisha Thomas. Don't know if you've heard of her before, but she's been on the Ellen DeGeneres show. Uh, DeGeneres, I'm sorry. And she was so interested in making sure women that had C-sections had access to health care if they didn't have medical insurance. She developed these uh, color-changing sutures. So through the, her invention, you know, oh, I've got an infection, right, without having to go to a doctor. So you can learn more about um, innovators such as Daisha in that programming. We just actually had our program, um, Hispanic Innovation, just last week, and we had a young inventor named Katia Avila who developed technology to help people with diabetes. So her and her team created innovations called Heart and Soul, but Soul is spelled S-O-L-E. It's technology that people can wear on their feet to help them understand what their status is with regards to their diabetes. So I would say when you talk about resources for women of color, check out our inventors page. Also check out our startup page because that's going to direct you to other resources that are going to help you with things that are a barrier such as access to capital, technical assistance. And we also, last but not least, have the Women's Entrepreneurship Program. And again, that's an online hub of resources that are available to you. Oh, first inventor to file. Oh, thank you for that plug. Um, so um, when we talk about um, patents, um, and we talk about um, the time that it takes, and that's why we need you to join the team. We've got so many patent applications that need to be examined, and <laughs> we do a quality review, so you're not going to get it like this. So don't think you're going to file, and then you're going to get your um, patent. So we have a new program. It's called First Inventor to File Expedited um, Examination. And if this is your first time um, filing for uh, protection for your invention, you can likely qualify for that program. We're only taking a limited number of applications, but that information is available for you, and that's a great program that would maybe help you get an answer or conclusion to your patent prosecution within a year. Thank you. And before I add some of the uh, resources and programs offered at the regional office level, I would like to ask Alisa or Rita, do you have programs that help um, increase access for your stakeholders of color or women of color? A part of our, our current um, sort of outreach and stakeholder engagement is, of course, to get into more communities of color. 
Um, so uh, part of NOAA's uh, different offices that support the mission is the National Weather Service. So we, we have weather forecasting offices that are all over the United States. They're in every community. Um, so part of our, our plans and, and some of the efforts that we have going forward are to engage more with the local communities that we're in. We do have um, a lot of forecasters that go out into schools. So we do have K through 12 initiatives in, in terms of uh, getting into communities of color to educate them about weather safety, weather preparedness. Um, these are critical things. And then that exposure helps them, them to understand you know, the services that are delivered through the weather service. Uh, we also have the Hurricane Center. Uh, we en engage with FEMA. And so th these aspects of you know, some of the natural disasters that happen, they impact people all over. So even in the most underserved communities where you have limited resources. Um, and, and so just getting out into those communities to educate them on in terms of how to respond um, uh, to a weather event is super critical. And again, through that outreach, there are opportunities to see some of that engagement grow. Um, we are also looking into communities just in terms of the feedback of our services and our service delivery and access. Um, so from, from the perspective of STEM careers, I think I've kind of tried to address that. In terms of service delivery, you know, that's a, a very different dynamic, but still, you know, trying to give exposure, trying to develop more engagement. Um, and trying to get these communities of color to have more awareness around what NOAA is, what we do, how we can partner and engage more. Thank you. And in many ways, uh, USPTO's regional office mission aligns um, in, in many ways with what Elisa just described. And I know I touched on that earlier and talking about the communities that we're going out to, the states and things like that. And I think it is critical for us to note that, yes, we are getting to the K through 12 level, right? And we're doing that through uh, scouting events, classroom engagement at the university level, um, definitely coming into those life science and engineering classrooms to talk about intellectual property, um, as well as our law schools, right? And we do often see a lot of our um, college students who are majoring in these engineering disciplines, life science disciplines, business, they go on to pair those with um, law degrees. And so one of the things that I'm uh, proud, the Midwest region for the last four years has hosted a national patent application drafting competition. And so that is outreach to law schools. And that provides real life experience for those law school students to use their combined engineering or life science um, education and their uh, pursuit of law school to draft those patent applications, right? So it sort of brings everything together. It's a culmination of everything that they have learned and everything that they will continue to do in their career path. So uh, we are happy to extend ourselves in ways such as that. Thank you. And I see we just have a few moments here, and I know that there was a uh, question that was, a hand was raised earlier when Sharon was on site, and I just want to make sure that we take care of any questions um, from our audience before we wrap. Appreciate the offer and happy to oblige. Um, I do want to make one comment um, about the USA Jobs and also this issue of barriers. So. Um, in NOAA, we also have direct hiring authority job applications or announcements that go out. And I think 
the the success with those have been pretty good in terms of uh, minimizing a lot of the application process. So a traditional application process will have a, a questionnaire. And so for each question that is associated with the job responsibilities, you basically rank your, your uh, expertise um, in those different areas. And that will determine whether or not you're, you're a part of the, the best candidates for the job, where the direct hiring authority is, is less rigorous. Um, so you do have to have a good resume. You do need to link in the keywords, but there's not a questionnaire. Um, and so I think from a barriers perspective that that is one tool um, that NOAA is using to support more people that are interested in working for NOAA, but that have this, this same feedback on barriers through the application process. Um, so another thing I would also recommend is that you, you set up alerts um, from yes, USA yes, Jobs. Yes, that's very um, good. Because you know, having a point of contact, like, you know, when I have a new job that comes out, I'll send it to my network. But if you have alerts, let's say I miss sending out some, some jobs to my network. If you have it set up, then you're in, in control. Um, and so it, it's really important for you to take those opportunities, look at them, understand the differences. What is a DHA announcement versus a traditional announcement? Um, but then, as mentioned, be able to use the, the point of contact to follow up with questions. And then um, my contact information is Alisa, A-L-I-S-A dot young at noaa.gov. You know, if you do have some questions, I'm happy to help you point you in the right direction um, because I do understand that there are challenges and we want to support you guys in being successful there. Thank you so much. And I just want to end right on a very positive note, a note of encouragement that you all are here today, um, taking advantage of all of the resources here, both for public sector and private sector. And you are to be acknowledged and congratulated for your pursuit um, in these STEM-based careers and knowing that there will be those women that come behind you and men as well that they will look to you for representation, windows, and mirrors. And I would like to turn to our panel for any final, any final words. And I'll start from the far left and come in, Miss Elisa Young. I will just piggyback off what you said. So thank you all for coming. Um, I hope that you can consider us a resource. We've been glad to have you. Um, if you do have questions, please follow up with us. Don't let this be the end, right? Use this, this Women of Color and STEM conference as a uh, way to network further, to you know, dig deeper into some of these opportunities um, and build out a broader network for yourself. And, and for the students, you know, we've talked about mentoring. You know, I'm happy to mentor students. Um, and so if you do have an interest there, um, feel free to reach out. Um, but otherwise, you know, I hope you enjoyed the conference and thank you again for attending. Um, as for me, I just want to thank you for attending. And as, as Alicia said, I'm also available to assist anyone to help you navigate through the process. I have gone to other career fairs where I actually took an actual job and actually pinpoint located and helped them go through the uh, resume and applying process. So I encourage you and to please continue to um, look for those uh, internships and pathways program that the 
federal government have available for you, and then reach out for mentors and coaches to assist you along the way. And volunteer, volunteer for committees and different organizations just so that you can get that experience. That can also be used on your resume as well, just as FYI. Um, just want to say thank you again. And one, I just want to say that I'm proud of you guys. The backgrounds that you all are in mm -hmm. is awesome mm -hmm. to be working and focusing on STEM um, and these type of backgrounds. It's not easy. Um, and to those who have already completed it, you have done it. And for those that are still trying to do it, you got this. You know, you can do this and the sky's the limit to what you all are able to do. Um, if anybody wants to touch base after, obviously I'll still be here and we can go down there, obviously if you want in regards mm -hmm. to job information, because mm -hmm. we do have a lot of positions out now as yep. well as internships and externships. I'm more than happy to talk to any of you all about that. Um, but again, thank you all for coming and being open to listen. Um, and excited to see all the great things that come from you guys. Absolutely. So to, to everyone's point, thank you for spending the time with us today. We know you had other options, but instead you came here. Um, and, and just one, I'm gonna leave with a quote from an amazing woman of color in STEM, Mae Jameson. Never be limited by other people's limited imagination. Okay, so when you walk in that room and you're the only one there, and you look around and you don't see, you're there for a reason, Absolutely. okay? You worked hard, to Keisha's point, and you're there for a reason. They're gonna value your input, be your authentic self, and make sure that you open the door for other underrepresented people to join you. Thank you. Thank, Thank you. you. And with that, I would like to give a warm round of applause for our panelists today, our speakers. Thank you so much. And a round of applause for, again for yourselves for being here. Thank you. We appreciate you sharing this time.